If you have your Bibles, you could open up to Acts chapter 16. We remember uh, from last week that, that God is at work in his people for the sake of the gospel. And that is true even when we cannot tell what God is doing. We cannot see how God is at work. We trust that he is, right? Even when doors are closed or open, um, as we have witnessed really all throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is continuing Jesus' work in and through the early church. And we must remember that the good news that they preached then in Acts is the same good news today. Uh, in our section today, we'll see Paul and Silas, uh, and, and they're going to encounter three very different people, right, from, from different backgrounds, different uh, uh, social statuses in, uh, in the city, Philippi, and, and all of them are confronted with the power of the gospel. And to those who believe in Jesus, we are going to see great, great joy. But for those who reject Jesus, there, there's anything but joy. So if you'll join me, I'm going to start in verse 11 of chapter 16. And we, we have a, a long passage today, so uh, feel free if it's helpful to read on the screen or, or if you just need to close your eyes and listen, uh, do, do whatever is most helpful to you. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and uh, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come to gather. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, uh, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowds joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had, in, had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in. 
And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they've beaten us publicly uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So our passage today uh, certainly reminds us of the power of God in the gospel and the joy for those who believe in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. We find Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they're in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. It's not the biggest city. It's not the most important city, but, but it, was, it was a big deal. And to the citizens of Philippi, they, they, they loved their city. They had a lot of pride in their city. So we begin in verse 13. Uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, they, they went by the river where they had either heard or, or somehow maybe they pieced together that there might be a gathering on the Sabbath day. And they found there a group of women that, that were gathered to pray. And Luke zooms in in verse 14 on a woman named Lydia. Right? She's uh, an entrepreneur. It says that she sells purple goods, and she's very likely uh, wealthy. We'll find out later that she owns her own house. So we don't know if, if, if uh, all the wealth came from her. We don't know if she's widowed, divorced. We, we have no idea. Luke doesn't tell us. But what he does tell us is that she's a worshiper of God. God had already been moving in her heart even before this day. She had an awareness of God. She had a desire to know him and to worship him. And on this day, Paul spoke, and Luke says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. So yes, Paul was faithful to come to Philippi. He was faithful that day to speak gospel words, but Luke doesn't want us to forget, and I'm sure Paul doesn't want us to forget that this is all God at work. Just as he opened and closed doors in last week's passage, God is the one who moves in hearts. And that's what he did here. Right? And that's what he's still doing today. It's easy for us to think, especially in, in a part of the country that is so unchurched, that, that God is not active in anyone around us. Not in our friends, not in our coworkers, not in that family member, not in our neighbors. But we don't know who God is working in. We don't know what he is up to, but we do know that he has not stopped drawing people to himself, just as he had been working in the heart of Lydia. So verse 15, God opens Lydia's heart to pay attention to the words that Paul is sharing about Jesus, the Savior, and she believed, and she was baptized, and Luke tells us, so was her whole household, right? They heard these words 
They heard the gospel and they responded. They too believed. They too wanted to be baptized into God's family. And then Lydia, in her joy to the good news, she offers up her house because the gospel brings joy, right? It brought such joy to her that she wanted these missionaries who, who told her about Jesus to come and stay with her. And Lydia's house really becomes kind of a base camp for Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And, uh, and it became uh, the place where this newly forming church in Philippi would gather. Um, this is a body, this is a people that Paul loves. If you read the book of Philippians, his love for this church just drips off the page. This church made up of, of all different kinds of people from all different walks in this Roman colony. Well, in verse 16, they meet a, a different woman, uh, and it's a woman who's very, very different from Lydia. She doesn't come from wealth. She isn't free. Luke calls her a slave girl, and she's at the mercy of her owners who use her to make a profit for them. And I think this passage is so helpful in reminding us that there's no one type of person that is the right fit for the gospel, right? The gospel is for all types. It's for people from all walks of life, right, for, from all um, all decisions that, that, that we've made, no matter what they are. He, he's drawing people from all nations to himself. So we do not do well to put uh, this box around who would respond to the gospel or who would not respond to the gospel because God is drawing all types of people to himself. And this young woman, we're told, has a spirit in her that helps her tell fortunes, right? And this is a lucrative business for her owners, Right, the owners get paid because this girl speaks oracles because of this spirit in her. So maybe she tells fortunes to clients, or, or maybe she warns them of, of what to avoid um, by direction of this demonic spirit. And verse 17 tells us how this young woman responded to, to these missionaries. She followed the group around, and, and she was kind of uh, a herald, though they weren't asking for a herald. You know, she's shouting that these men are our servants, right, or, or slaves of the Most High God, and they're proclaiming this way of salvation. And, and in our English Bible, it, it looks like what she's saying is, is actually spot on, but in the Greek, apparently, it, it's, it's more ambiguous, right? She calls them slaves, and, and we think biblically about what a slave is, but this is really different from how the pagans viewed their relationship with their, with their gods, Right? They, they really thought of themselves as slaves. Right? There's no relationship there. They were just hoping to not make the gods angry. Paul, Paul would call himself a slave. Right? He would call himself a servant of the Lord, a servant that had decided that, that he loved his Lord Jesus, his master, so much that he wanted nothing more than to follow him and serve him. The slave girl said that, that they served the most high God, Right? Meaning that this is a really powerful God, but, but she certainly didn't speak accurately. She didn't uh, understand. Her words didn't convey how truly great Yahweh is, how powerful, how majestic he is. And then she said, uh, a way of salvation. Right? And she's saying this is a different way. This is not the, the way of, of the people of Philippi or one of the ways of the Philippian people that they believe and follow. Verse 18 tells us that, that she did this for days, and Paul is, is patient, but finally he had enough. It said he got greatly annoyed, which makes me feel better that, that even the Apostle Paul could get greatly annoyed by something, though I've never dealt with something quite like this. Um, 
So Paul turns to her and commands the spirit to come out. And Luke, again, he's really clear, right? He says, in the name of Jesus. He doesn't want any of us to think that this was uh, like Paul's super apostle power. No, this spirit came out of the girl because of Jesus. And Luke writes that it came out right away. It, It was immediate. And then the story really shifts away from the girl in, in, in 19 and 20. Uh, and if you're like me, you're, you're wondering, what happened? Right? What, what happened to this young girl that the spirit is out of her? But, but what happened? Is she, is she now trusting in Jesus? Luke doesn't tell us. Right? He, he doesn't make it clear. I, I sure hope that she did. Right? I, I suspect, or I guess I'm rooting for her to trust in Jesus. My hope is that she joined up this brand new little church in Philippi, right, where there were already some women that would have been ready to teach her what they knew about Jesus. But we don't know for sure. Luke leaves us hanging. 1920, it it goes right in onto her owners, and instantly her owners figure out that their income stream is gone, right? Their, Their hope for gain, he says, is gone, and they are livid. They make kind of a citizen's arrest. They bring them before the rulers of the city. They make up these charges because really what Paul and Silas did, it wasn't an actual crime. They claim that they're disturbing the city. And actually, that's a really good word for it. The gospel, if you think about it, is disturbing. The gospel is an offense to our natural way of thinking. The gospel confronts us, telling us that, that what we hope in, if it's not in Jesus, right, just like these owners, what we hope in will come crashing down at some point. The gospel tells us that, that we are actually, we're not good at being Lord of our lives, even though all we want to do is sit on the throne of our own lives. The gospel tells us that we needed Jesus to die for us so that we could be saved from judgment, which is great news for those who have ears to hear the gospel Right? This is the good news that Lydia and her household heard, and they were filled with joy. And the evidence of the power of Jesus was not taken as good news, though, by the owners. So they did everything in their power to stop Paul and Silas, and it worked. Right? They, they riled up the crowd in verses 21 and 22, and the, the crowd joins them, not in physically attacking them, but in echoing the sentiment that these men need to be punished, that these men are bad news for this city we love so much. Right? They, they threatened, uh, they, Paul and Silas had threatened the, the good way of life that the Philippians had in their mind. And the rulers ordered that they'd be beaten with rods. So in verses 23, 24, they're, they're beaten, they're thrown in jail. They have stocks, these, these wooden stocks put on their feet. And every time Paul went to jail, I just wonder if he remembered back to the people that he'd thrown in jail, the Christians that, that he was the, the reason that they had gone to jail. I, I, wondered, I wonder if, if, if he prayed for uh, his jailers, for those who put him in prison, for, for the owners. Actually, I'm pretty confident that, that that's exactly what he did. In verse 23, we meet the jailer. The jailer was probably uh, a slave that was owned by the city, and he was put in charge of, of the jail. Um, he had people that worked under him, and the magistrates brought Paul and Silas to him, and they charged him to keep these new prisoners secure. So he moves them into the, the inner cell, like the maximum security. And put yourself in Paul and Silas's place, right? You, Paul cast out a demon, um, which is a, obviously a good thing, They've faithfully spoken about Christ to this godless, 
pagan place, and what do they get for it? They're beaten. So you're bloody, you're sore, you've been thrown into this inner prison, so unless there are torches lit in there, it's probably really dark. I'm quite sure that it smelled really awesome in there. You have wooden stalks around your feet. It appears that they can't fall asleep, even though they're exhausted, and I'm guessing this is because their they're bloodied up back, which is still healing, doesn't allow them to get comfortable enough to fall asleep. So what do you do? Like if you're in their shoes, how's your heart right now? What's your attitude towards this? I'd be grumpy. Um, I get grumpy over meaningless circumstances. I hope not every day, but, but at least every week there's something that I get grumpy about, right? I get grumpy over stupid little things like, like dishes not being put in the dishwasher, right? Like I get grumpier if the dishes make it to the sink, because I'm like, if you just turn 12 inches and open that door, like you don't even have to slide that rack out. Just shove that thing in. Like you have the power to do that. Why? Why did you just set it in the sink? I, I get grumpy. This is so dumb. I don't know what it is, but when my hamburger is cold before I take the first bite, not even cold, just lukewarm, it makes me grumpy. Like I get grumpy over the, the dumbest things, and you're laughing at me. You get grumpy over dumb stuff too, trust me. It doesn't take much, though, for me really to have the patience and the emotional maturity of a little kid. So I'm confident I'd be grumpy in prison. If I was praying, they were praying. If I was praying, it would have been prayers of complaining. But look what we see from Paul and Silas, right? They have joy because of the gospel. This isn't Paul's first time facing hardship. This isn't his first time dealing with persecution. He knows who he serves. He knows that God is always at work. So verse 25 tells us that they are singing. We don't know what they're singing. Maybe they're singing psalms. There certainly would have been plenty of psalms for them to choose from that would have fit their circumstances. We just think of all the times that that David wrote uh, asking God for salvation from his enemies who were pursuing him. Or maybe they were singing brand new Christian hymns, right? Hymns that had been written about Jesus since the birth of the church. But they're singing, they're praying, and we're told in verse 25 that people are listening And they're listening because this is not the norm for beaten prisoners placed in stocks. And it caught the attention of their fellow prisoners. Their behavior in prison actually may have gotten more attention on the gospel than Paul casting the spirit out of the slave girl. What a reminder that that our responses to everyday difficulties in life, or or even just little uh, little bumps in the road, it will catch the attention of at least some, but my guess is probably more than we realize. It'll catch the attention of people. Those who are near enough to know our difficulty will notice how the Christian responds when life isn't so great. And these might be some of our best opportunities to display the joy and peace of knowing Jesus. And I know, I know many of you live with with family or, or friends that don't believe in Christ, and they have a front row seat. They're, they're watching you as you go through life, the ups and the downs, seeing how you respond in Jesus. Verse 26 and 27, this earthquake comes, and, and it, is, it is a great earthquake. It shakes the foundation of the jail so badly that the prison doors swing wide open. Um, the, the chains that they're fastened to drop off. 
And verse 27 and 28, the jailer wakes up from the earthquake and he sees that the doors are open. And his assumption is that the prisoners must have escaped, right? Why wouldn't they? If, if suddenly this earthquake comes, the doors open, you're not chained anymore. Of course, you're going to run out. And, and he knew as the one in charge of the prison that he would be held accountable for this. Right? This may have meant torture for him. It probably meant that he would die there's speculation that because this is a Roman colony that he could have been crucified for this. So he decides to take his own life. He takes his sword and he's ready to thrust it through himself so he doesn't have to deal with crucifixion, so he doesn't have to deal with being tortured. He has his sword ready when he hears Paul's voice cry out, don't harm yourself, everyone is here. In verse 29, the jailer yells for lights to be brought in to see if, if what he just heard from Paul could actually be true. And he comes in, and sure enough, everyone is there. And he knows that these prisoners staying here means that he will continue to live. So he falls down before Paul, before Silas. He's shaking. He's trembling. Right? And you can imagine the, the adrenaline that must have been in his body as he went from one moment thinking the best thing for me to do is to kill myself to the next moment finding out that everything is going to be fine. And he asks a surprising question in verse 29 or 30. He says, what must I do to be saved? And I've just been thinking about this and, and putting myself in his shoes. I don't think I would have asked that question. I imagine I would have asked something like, what are you doing here? Why, why didn't you run out when you had the chance? Or, or, or maybe, like, how can I repay you? But he asked, what must I do to be saved? It's a very interesting question. It's a, it's a brilliant question. It's a critical question. He knew that, well, that question tells me that he knew what Paul and Silas were all about that he knew why they'd been thrown in prison. Right? It wasn't just the prisoners listening and, uh, as Paul and Silas prayed and, and sang. The jailer, too, was a part of the audience. He, he may have fallen asleep before the earthquake as they were singing, but he heard them. Right? He heard them praying. He heard them speaking to the fellow prisoners about Jesus. Maybe, maybe Paul and Silas took an opportunity to speak with him directly, so he certainly knew why they were there. Right? He knew they were proclaiming a, a religion that the Philippian rulers were not happy with. I'm sure that he had heard the, about the spirit that was cast out by Paul from the fortune-telling slave girl. Maybe he'd even heard the words that she kept saying for a couple days about them, that they were slaves to this great God, that they proclaimed a different, unique way of salvation they were not like slaves that he knew, right? They weren't like the slave girl. They weren't like him. And I'm sure he was confused by the joy of the two men who'd just been beaten with rods, who'd been cast into maximum security, had wood stocks put around their feet, and yet all they could do was sing and pray to this God of theirs, right? How powerful, how confusing it is when Christians have joy and peace, when life is hard. When circumstances call for bitterness and complaining, you can't fake joy, or at least not, not very long. You can't sustain it. You can't fake the joy that God gives. Right? It comes when, when, you, when you trust in Christ, 
right? E- even when trusting is a struggle, even when, when trusting in Jesus feels like this, this wrestling match, right? Like Corey and, and Betsy Tinboom that, that I read about earlier, clinging to First Thessalonians, not understanding, but, but trusting that what God said was true. When you have no clue what he's doing, or how he'll do it, but you keep believing that he is Lord, that he is good, trusting that he has power to do his good work in all circumstances, including the dark ones that you find yourself in right now, that he really does know what is best. But this jailer had seen plenty of prisoners spend time there. None of them acted like this. Maybe at first he thought they were out of their minds, but after observing them for a while, after listening to them, he realized that couldn't be the case. So we don't know exactly what he'd been thinking about Paul and Silas and their God, but he was thinking. And, and then this earthquake strikes, the doors open, and maybe in that moment, he, he thought, okay, this is God freeing these innocent men. Right? Maybe he thought to themselves, I knew they were different. I knew they weren't out of their minds. This was justice for them from their God. But their freedom, he thought, meant his death. So he draws that sword until Paul says, no, don't harm yourself, we're here. Right? The testimony of Paul and Silas was effective. It got the attention, God got the attention of this jailer through these circumstances. God was certainly at work, just like he'd opened Lydia's heart earlier. Like, just like the demonic spirit was cast out by the power of Jesus, this man was ready to hear how God, uh, God saved through the power of the gospel in in circumstances like this, just when he is ready. So he asked, what must I do to be saved? And and this is the question, right? Christians, like this is the question that we're hoping that someone would ask us. This is the question that needs to be asked. Maybe some of you are asking this question right now. What must I do to be saved? Or, Or others, right? When you're sharing about Jesus, this is what you're hoping for. And this is what the jailer just leads in with. So if someone asked you this question, right, your coworker, your, your friend, your neighbor, what would you say? How, how would you respond? This is what they say in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Right? It is belief in Jesus that saves. He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, the first thing you need to do is go to this church that we actually just started. You'll meet Lydia. She's a great lady. And then we need to get you copies of the Hebrew Scriptures so that you can read your Bible a lot. And then you should really work on right away getting a healthy prayer life established, right? He didn't say that. He didn't say join a small group. He didn't say be sure to regularly confess your sin, even though all these things are good. All of these are essential parts of walking with Jesus, but those aren't what saves you, right? Luke says that Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him. He he shared what it is that Christians believe in the Lord Jesus, that Jesus is God, that he is the Son who along with the Father and the Holy Spirit are the one triune God, that God in his goodness created everything, including humanity, and that he loved his creation. He told them that that, uh, humanity decided to go their own way, deciding that they knew better than God. They chose to rebel against God, bringing sin into the world, which broke the relationship with God. He certainly explained that sin was an offense to God and that we, humanity, cannot fix this offense. We couldn't make up for it, that we deserved judgment. But God, he said, promised to make a way for them to be forgiven of their sin against the holy God. That God would make a way by sending his 
that by sending his son to be the savior who had the power to redeem people, that this Jesus came, that he was born of the Virgin Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was, he was born adding humanity to his deity, that he was without sin, that he healed the sick, that he raised the dead, that he taught about the kingdom of God, that he urged people to repent, to turn towards God, that he willingly laid down his life as a payment for sin. That on the third day he rose from the dead, appearing to many, including Paul, who was speaking these words, that he eventually ascended to be with the Father, and that salvation comes by believing that Jesus is Lord, and that it's by his death and resurrection that you can be saved from sin through faith in him. So Paul spoke this to the jailer. He spoke this to his household, and they were ready. They believed. They, they responded in faith. We find out that the jailer took Paul and Silas, and he washed their wounds, right? This is, a, this is a, a response of joy to the good news that he now believed. And then right away, he was baptized along with his family. So the jailer then took Paul to his house, which was probably connected to the jail, or at least really, really close, and, and he fed them, which is absolutely against the rules. You know, he, he had the potential of getting big trouble, getting in big trouble in this, but he did not care, right? What could man do with him? due to him. He'd been reconciled to God. He was now right with God. He knew Jesus. He didn't care about getting in trouble for feeding some prisoners because he was rejoicing along with his entire household that they knew God. He was rejoicing that Jesus came and died to save sinners. He was rejoicing that these men had come to Philippi to share the good news, rejoicing that they were willing to be beaten for the gospel, rejoicing that they were thrown into the prison that he was in charge of so he could meet them and be intrigued by these strange prisoners and hear them sing, hear their message. It caught his attention. He was rejoicing that God had him thinking. He was rejoicing that God made the earthquake, rejoicing that Paul and Silas didn't run out of prison, because that was the jailer's tipping point to ask the most important question he'd ever asked, what must I do to be saved? And now he and his household knew Jesus. Paul later would write in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Certainly God demonstrated his power in Philippi. Right? We saw that in Lydia, in her household, Hopefully that slave girl came to know Christ as well. We see it in, in the jailer, in his household, all coming to believe in Jesus. They knew the power of the gospel. They knew the joy of knowing Jesus. And we must remember that the good news has the power to save today, just as it did in Acts 16. Right? For all who, to, who come to believe in Jesus, they will be saved, and they'll get the joy of knowing Christ like Paul, let us not be ashamed of the gospel. Verse 35, Luke writes that, that when day came, the magistrates sent the police to order these men to be let go. And the jailer came to Paul, and I'm sure expecting that, that Paul would receive this as good news, but Paul says, whoa, not so fast. He points out that they were beaten publicly, and that they didn't even have a trial, and yet they were found guilty, thrown into prison, which is terrible, but then Paul Paul pulls this card, he says, and we're Roman citizens. And this is like the mic drop moment. Roman citizens had rights that outsiders did not, and their rights had most certainly been violated. 
So as you read this story, you might, like me, wonder, wait, Paul, why didn't you say this at the beginning? You could have stopped all of this. Why now? Because certainly this was a big deal. As soon as he says this, the tone changes. Paul tells him, you, you can't throw us out secretly after mistreating us. No, you need to send the magistrates here, and they're going to they're gonna walk us out publicly. Right? You did all of this to us in public, and now you're going to make it right in public. And if you've read Paul, or if you've read all of Acts, you know that Paul does not flaunt his rights. What we see from Paul is that he's willing to give up anything for the sake of the gospel. And that actually seems to be what's happening here. Right? Paul does not want the gospel to be tarnished. Everything that happened to Paul and Silas happened in front of plenty of people in Philippi to see. Right? And anyone that didn't witness it themselves, they knew someone or they knew someone who knew someone that had already filled them in about what happened to the Christians. What Paul cares about here, why he's doing this, is he cares about the reputation of Jesus. He was concerned with the gospel being tarnished. He was also thinking, I'm sure, about the new believers in Philippi, right? Eventually, Paul would leave the Philippian church, this, this, this new, newly formed church, and he wanted to see them thrive in Philippi. He wanted to see the gospel go forward in Philippi for this, this church to be a witness to others in that city. So Paul says, no way. No way. You're going to publicly take us out to demonstrate that what you did was not right, that we were, we were not in the wrong. You're not going to sweep us out the back door. And it makes me wonder, how much do we care about the reputation of Christ in our world? Right? When a supposed Christian or even a genuine Christian is caught in, in some, uh, some scandal and it hits the news, it hits social media, I, I find myself just being so embarrassed, but I was convicted several years ago that often my embarrassment is actually for me. It's not for Jesus. It's not for his bride. It's not for the reputation of the gospel. The magistrates knew that they had messed up big time, right? Paul, Paul was right, and, and, and they came to Paul and Silas Right? They came to try and smooth over the situation, so they're willing to publicly take them out. And, and they do that. They ask them to leave the city. Before leaving Philippi, they, they stop by Lydia's house to meet with the brothers and sisters to encourage the Philippian church. And there was so much to praise God for. So I'm sure they celebrated together that Lydia and her household had come to believe in Christ, that the jailer and, and his household had come to believe in Christ that the gospel had taken root in Philippi, and Paul and Silas wanted to encourage, they wanted to rejoice with their brothers and sisters in Christ at this new church before they left town. And, and we'll see, as, as they continue on their journey, we'll see what happens next week. But would you pray with me? Lord, we, we love you. God, we confess that we so quickly forget the power of the gospel. It, even though every person here that believes they, they, they were confronted with the power of the gospel to save us. Lord, we, we confess that we so easily stop trusting in you, stop trusting that, that, that you can provide or you will provide or that you are good or that you know what you're doing. God, would you help us in, in all circumstances to look to you? Would you help us? Would you give us true joy in knowing you, in, in following you and being loved by you and loving you in return? God, you are so, so good, Lord. We love you. It's in your name we pray.
Amen.